0: All right. Welcome back, everybody. Here we are with Thirsty Thursday, number 16. Uh, we're going to talk tonight with little Timmy Jershide. That's it's kind of wrong to say little Timmy Jershide. He's he's not so little anymore.
1: 26 years old, you know. I'm, I'm getting there.
0: <laughs> You'll always be little, all right?
1: Exactly. And,
0: and if, if you get a little lippy, we'll call your old man, and he'll put you back in your place.
1: That's all right. He's getting old anyway. He can't hear it.
0: <laughs> uh, so tonight we're talking about um, cadet programs or high school programs in the fire service, how we can cultivate them, how we can um, get them in, keep them interested. And, um, and, and that's going to kind of lead into our recruitment and retention. Um, and I, I think this is a great talk for tonight. We've got uh, Timmy again said he was 26. Trevor, who's uh, experienced, uh, very experienced. <laughs> uh, and, and myself kind of in the middle between there. Uh, And then we also have the career volunteer experiences that we have and the different levels in the organization that we're at. So um, it's going to be a great talk tonight. I'm really excited and see kind of where it goes. So um, as we've kind of started from our our talk in Alaska, uh, I think Lisa gave us a great idea is we want to know where you're at or where you're watching from. Uh, So in the comments below, uh, fill in what you, where you're from and um, Maybe if you guys have any experience, we'll get that on here. If, if you guys have, have been a part of a cadet program, if you guys are working on recruitment retention, um, put that in your comments because uh, we might we might call that or shout you out and see what you guys got going on. So a um, little introduction, again, Ben Waples, Salisbury Fire Department, um, and, and had the opportunity to work with Trevor. Uh, and Bobby is usually here with us, but he's had a – He's been having some rough weeks in Ocean City with training and all that kind of stuff. So hopefully he joins us. Uh, And then Timmy uh, got to work with Timmy when he was a cadet in in Ocean City. So with that, we'll kick it over to Trevor and and we'll keep going.
2: All right. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate it. And uh, Timmy, great to have you on the program tonight. Uh, I've got a lot of stories about Timmy growing up. This is probably not the appropriate time or place. And actually, I see one of the people who actually made you catatonic as a child just uh, logged on, Mr. Hickman. But uh, anyway, uh, of course, um, Trevor Steedman here. Uh, I've got 33 years in, in the uh, fire service, and uh, worked in Ocean City for the majority of that. and have been down here in South Florida for almost the last four years, and I've had the privilege not only to uh, work with uh, Tim's, uh, Timmy's dad in, in the fire service, but also with Tim. So it's kind of neat to see that generational gap. Uh, Bobby won't be able to join us tonight. Actually, Benny had texted me a little while ago, so he's a little bit hemmed up. But So we're going to be missing out on Bobby tonight. But um, some of the things I'm excited to talk about tonight are not only the cadet or junior firefighter programs, but also the vocational programs at, at the high school level. And sometimes they're one of the same, sometimes they're not. And to me, uh, if you could combine the two of them, you have a really, really great turnkey program that really gets young people interested in the fire service, gets them in at an early age, uh, gets them on the right path, not only to enter the fire service, but also gives them a career track as they go through. Um, I'm very fortunate where I am to have a relatively young workforce when it comes to that. And we'll discuss some of those things later on. Um, but before I turn it over to uh, young Mr. Jershide, uh I've actually known... Uh, Again, it's kind of weird calling you little Timmy, but that's what I've known you as. I've known him since he's about three and a half years old, and used to chase him around the firehouse when he would act up with a box and uh, threaten to ship him to China. And uh, like I said, I, I still laugh when I think about Mike Hickman. Uh, really, well, that's another story for another no, time. But no. uh, I, I, I see that you've recovered very well from that. Nothing that probably several years of therapy and uh, Coors Lake couldn't take care of. So um, with that, Timmy. thank Oh, little, little west coast good, limited, good, Yeah, wow. Yeah. I, I, I see the apple did not fall far from the uh, the tree. There, very nice. All right. Well, anyway, um, with that, Timmy, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, you have you have a background and experience as cadet. Uh, I came up. I, I entered fire service as cadet uh, in the in the mid '80s. So, uh, love the program. It was instrumental in, in getting a start in the fire service. So, with that, I want to turn it over to little Timmy
1: Jershide for an introduction. Ah, hi. Well, uh, as some of you may know, I am little Timmy Jershide. I am 26 years old, so I'm not that little anymore. Uh, I started in the cadets at 14 years old in Ocean City, Maryland, where I stayed until 18, became a fireman with Ocean City, and then left at 22 years old when I moved to Florida. Uh, I was also a dispatcher for the town of Ocean City until... 2016, I think it was. Um, and I've stayed in the dispatch field until this year, actually. So um, I don't really have much experience other than that, but uh, I loved growing up around the firehouse with these guys.
2: Yeah. Uh, and uh, real, real quick uh, to that end, Timmy, uh, I guess now would be a great time to apologize to you. What a lot of people don't realize, even though um, you know, Tim comes from a very close family, he was actually abandoned at birth and raised by a pack of wild firemen. So anything that might come out of his mouth tonight is completely unintentional and is the fault of all the people who kind of raised him in the fire service, myself included. So I just wanted to give that disclaimer uh, before we got started.
0: Yeah, and as as we get going, we did put in for the Hickman FAA waiver, uh, FAA or <laughs> FFA, whatever it is, or the FCC, that's it. FCC. Yes, um, F- we did put in for the, the Hickman FCC waiver. Uh, so we are covered for that again. Uh, so, um, so yeah, let's, let's get talk about what, hang on a second. I apologize. Cheers, gentlemen. It's always good to see you.
1: Cheers. Thank you for having me on.
0: I can't believe I forget that. So as much as I do. Um, so yeah, let's, let's talk about cadet programs and, and Trevor, I, I love the comment that you had made emerging uh, the CTE programs with cadet programs. Uh, or the junior fireman programs, whatever we want to call them. Um, so, what what was it that that brought us to the cadet program? Because uh, again, we all started there. So, what was it that brought us there? And maybe that's how we kind of we kind of kick this off and and move through that tonight.
2: Well, Ben, um, I think in the earlier days, just at least from my experience, a lot of the cadet program was a way, especially since the fire service. Um, is and was very family-oriented, it was a way for when some of the uh, firefighters' kids were coming of age and were hanging around the fire station, and they would do a lot of things. But this was a way to formalize that and really kind of bring the next generation in in a formal way. Um, I didn't have any family background in the fire service. My my family background was actually law enforcement. So, uh, you know, I I was in Boy Scouts at the time, uh, and we had to do a merit badge that was at the firehouse literally called firemanship and I had friends who were in the cadet program and it was just one of those things that once I did that, it brought me in. We didn't have anything at the high school or um, vocational level at that time to be able to really hang on to. So what was interesting about it is, especially in our area up there in in the Delmarva Peninsula, is that every state had a little bit different requirement for either what we called a cadet or a junior member where you had to be a minimum of either 14 or 16 years of age but at the time, Maryland, you had to be 18 years old to take your basic fire. Um, I know we mentioned him a lot on this show because he's certainly worth mentioning a lot, but Doug Scott up in Delaware was his chief officer there and he knew I was interested in taking some sort of basic training, was hungry to do more. And even though I was a Maryland boy, my first formalized fire service training was Delaware State Fire School, Fire One and Fire Two, because I was too young to take it, even though I was a cadet in Ocean City. So that really gave me the for, the foundation for a career but also gave, gave you um you're working around people who mentored you they kind of like we talked about when we were on with uh, hickman the other week we worked with a lot of great firefighters who really set you on the right path and patted you on the back when you did a good job and immediately put a foot up your behind or you know remind you where you were in the, in the pecking order so um with that i think that we've come a long way Uh Timmy's dad and I, we taught for the vocational program when it first started, and we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly with that over time, and again, you're looking at the ability to bring people into a career field that can be very rewarding is wonderful, but then also the, the flip side of that is you have some people that might have a, for lack of a better term, more of a glorified or a Hollywood interest in it. They watch all the television shows and the, you know, backdraft Chicago fire, whatever the case is, and think that that's what it's like every day. However, once they get into it and say, wow, this is really work, or you've really got to have your head screwed on straight, or, you know, they don't, they don't cut the commercial after 15 minutes. So you get a break. Um, it really kind of weeds out some of the people uh, earlier on. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but it's you have the opportunity to try a career field and find out earlier on versus more into adulthood where you, you could be, you're going down a different career path. So I think there's a lot of worth and value as long as the systems are set up right. So with that, I wanna ask um, Timmy, you know, your, your experiences, the, the ones that uh, we can talk about past the statute of limitations that we don't have to register with the authorities anymore for child abuse, but anyway, <laughs> um, so, some of the things like the, the experiences you got through the cadet program and
1: what, what would you maintain and what would you do differently? So, um, for me, it was different, you know, I had a different experience than you did, obviously, because you didn't have any background, uh, with family in the fire service. Whereas my whole family, you know, has been in the fire service. So growing up in and around the firehouse, it was, it was not forced on me by any means, you know, dad told me to make my own decisions. You know, if it was something I wanted to do, then absolutely, you know, go out and try it. And You know, I turned 14 and I just I love being around the firehouse, love being with the guys. And so I signed up for it. Um, It it was definitely it it was a fantastic program. It still is fantastic. I think, you know, I, I think anybody who's interested in some form of, you know, public service field because uh, they don't really have anything for the police department at that age so you know if you're interested in the public service at any eight or at any point before you turn 18 i think cadets or a junior fire program is definitely beneficial um you know for me um i know in like uncle trevor said in the delmarva area things are definitely different than they are around the country um, and as a requirement in high school, in ninth grade, you have to do 20 hours of community service, I think it is. So uh, you could count 10 of those if you were in the cadet program. And I know we went through a lot of different people who were just in there to get their 10 hours, and then they were done. But some people got hooked on it and stayed. And I mean, that's that's what we want to do. So you want to try and not make it fun, but you want to make it, you know, a an- an experience for them that they're never going to forget and they get hooked on. Honestly, I think that's really, I think that's really good. Let me ask you this. Um, you, as, as a younger,
2: as the youngest of the group here, here on (laughs) the, (laughs) um, in, in my day coming up with the cadet program, we had a lot of things that we could do, but it might've been intramural sports, recreation department activities, everything else. But then you had some downtime as well, where, you know, as a young teenager, if you weren't going, you know, if you weren't hunting, fishing or doing sports or something else, you were essentially just, you know, especially when you were driving age, you became able to ride the circuit. And you know, I'm sure you're you know, well aware of that where you go from place to place to place and just kind of visit and hang out. Um, now there's so many more things that attract a younger person's attention. I mean, there's, you know, the gaming is just off the chain right now. There's a lot more activities and you're know, putting the COVID pandemic aside right in this point in history. But how how do you in a cadet program, like you said, you want to keep it interesting. You want to keep it something where people are going to come back. But how do you compete in especially something that's more structured and paramilitary? But how, how do you envision competing with all the other things you that are available for younger people to do and maintain a viable cadet program?
1: See, uh, unfortunately, that's, you know, that's a problem that we have, um, you know, with my generation and the younger generation is, you know, we don't, a lot of people in those generations don't feel the need to go out and do something, you know, as like the cadets or a police department or military stuff like that. So the ones who want to do it, you have to really hook them on it. And, You know, with the different things going on now, um, I mean, I know when I was in ninth and tenth grade, my first two years in cadets, I was also balancing Boy Scouts. I was balancing uh, soccer. So you know, you can balance it, but some people just don't want to make that extra effort, and that's you know, that's unfortunate. But um, it's it's just it's it's a really hard thing to do, I guess, if you're not fully committed to the program as some people are, you know, it's Ben and I talked about this the other day, you know, the program's really for the cadets by the cadets. So you want to have the cadets really take a big part in it. And if you're not, if you have, you know, your leaders or your actual firemen leading the cadet program, how, how, you know how how soon are the cadets going to get bored by doing the same thing over and over again? So you want to have your you know senior cadets give some input into the program that you know that you know the other cadets are going to want to do.
0: Yeah, I would agree, Tony. We when I I just recently um, turned over the cadet program in Salisbury to our new recruitment retention person, um, and prior to that, when we would do our training, it I knew that I had. At the time, I had like nine cadets, and eight of them were in were in a fire one class. Um, some were through the CTE program at Wyandot County Schools, and then some were through the Mifri Night program. Excuse me. And um, like we would look at their schedules and say, "Hey, what are you guys doing on this day? You know, what are you guys learning in class?" And then we would train on, you know, make sure that they were competent and they were able to do what they were trained. Or what they learned in class before, but then we would also look ahead and say, "Hey, look! All right, we're going to be forcing doors. I don't want you guys looking like a bunch of ding dongs. So let's go up. Let's go do some some forcible entry stuff, and let's figure out, um, you know, what like what the the tips, the tricks are, that kind of stuff, and and how we go about that. And I think the the more that you engage them, the more that you uh, like Hickman said, like or like we've all said, the more that you have fun with them and show them that you're you're interested in them and you engage them, uh, the, the easier it is for them to stay involved and to stay engaged and to want to be there. You're always going to have the ones that don't want to be there. And those, they'll either weed themselves out because it's going to be, hey, this is what we're doing. And like Trevor said, they're not going to get that break every 15 minutes when it's commercial time that they're going to have to keep going. Like you can't just stop in the middle of the maze and be like, I'm done. I need a break. Where's my water bottle? Like look hot. You either got to go forward or you got to go backwards, but you can't just get out right there. Um, So you have to, you have to, you know, kind of almost push them. The ones that want to be there, the ones that want to do it, they're going to love it. They're going to eat it up. They're going to keep going. Um, But then the ones that they're, they're there because they have to, check the box for their community service hours. They have to mom or dad said that you have to get out of the house and do something. Like they're gonna figure it out that the fire service is not for them. And I think that's like it's good and bad. I mean we have the same thing when we talk about regular members. Like, oh yeah, yeah. I wanna be involved. Well I want to be involved to the point where I get my t shirt and then I go home. You know? Ah. And that's that's not what we need. That's not what we want. We want people that are going to be involved to the point where we got somebody that calls out on on no matter what, or we're looking to staff an engine and they call, Hey, I got you. I'll be there. And you're like, all right, good. I know I've got a decent fireman that that's getting in the back of the fire engine with me. So I think it's all about how much you engage them and how much fun that you make it. Um, And you, and, and you make it relevant to what they're doing. You know, again, if they're learning forcible entry, they're learning ladders, then that's what your training needs to be on. We don't need to do the same training um every time. Like I don't we don't need to pull that's a bad example. We don't need to we don't need to polish the, the axe and halligan every time that we go to the firehouse. Yeah. You know, like pulling hand lines, packing handlines, like they love that stuff. So do something that that is gonna engage them.
1: Yeah, and um you know, one thing that I learned uh, in EMT class with miss Jackie Carey was practice like you play
2: mm-hmm. so
1: you know you can have fun while you're doing it but just as long as you're actually practicing like you would do it in a real life situation you know that's that's what you need to do. So like you said the repetition of the smaller tasks that you beat into somebody's brain like you you, you beat a dead horse so much by doing the small mundane tasks. Go out and do some of the uh, other things. You know, throw a mm-hmm. throw a ladder on the side of a parking garage. Uh, you know, pull hose, uh, pull a line up the parking garage stairwells. You know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like that. That gets people involved and interested. And you know, if you see somebody maybe a little shy in the back, be like, "Hey, I want you up front on the nozzle now." Like, switch it up. Make them. You know, make them more involved.
2: Yeah, Tim. I always found that the um, the cadets are juniors, depending on you know, what part of the country that you're in. They usually became your more proficient firefighters just because we went from ha- just having to know the equipment and know the tools inside Now You remember the uh, you know, the lights out drills that we would do with the uh, heavy rescue and the engine where you send a cadet over and say, okay, bring me back X, Y, and Z. And they would have to go literally forge around in the dark compartment by compartment, and they had to know it. And that was part of their final test, their, one of their performance objectives, to come off probation. So, on the fire ground, the cadets, even though you know, they were somewhat uh, gophers, they were extremely proficient. And it was really uh, a source of pride for the cadets when they could outdo a probationary firefighter who didn't have that background or experience because you'd say, Hey, Proby, I need this. And they'd give you a blank stare and you turn to a red helmet, or you should say the cadets wore red, red coats and red helmets and say, I need this. And they were back before the words got out of your mouth. So it, w- it was really a source of, of pride. And then once they became a probationary firefighter, they really achieved their probationary requirements. So uh, I don't want to say easier, but they had uh, they had more depth and more knowledge of it. And then you just saw them have a more rooted foundation in the fire service and to uh, Bill Bounce's comments too, is it's so important at that point to teach them the history and tradition, because we, we lose so much of that in the fire service and there's people like uh, you know you mentioned Jackie, uh, but also uh, you know, Russ and Skip, who does quite a bit of that. And you know when when we would do it, in, even in our academies, the career academies, is to say, you know, let's uh, you know, let's not forget the people whose shoulders we're standing on. And you know, I had the privilege and opportunity uh, with your dad to go up to the Baltimore City Fire Academy and teach up there. And one of the things we did at our local academy was take um, a stencil and put boot prints of, well, we just put boot prints out in front of the uh, training tower down there in Princess Anne at the uh, training academy. And we would ask the recruits and say, what, what do these boot prints represent? And we had some good guesses. They'd say, okay, it's the RIT team or, you know, something else or, you know, maybe the, uh, whoever the leaders were from the academy or what have you. And for in our case in Ocean City, we said no. These represent the three firefighters who have died in line of duty, and we named them, give a little bit of the back history. Well, one of the instructors who had come down with us in Ocean City, it was from Baltimore City, took that back, and that's where you know, obviously a lot of your family history is, Timmy, and um, I believe it was your great grandfather, correct? It was who who uh, died in line of duty in Baltimore City, and when we had an opportunity to go up there. There and, and when you see, you know, I forget how many it is now, but at the time it was probably 200 plus those stencils on the, outside the uh, training tower in, in Baltimore City. And your father was standing in the boot prints of, of, of number 115. And, you know, the, the lead instructor says, you know, do you, you, know do you know what these uh, boot prints are. I went through the whole thing and you know, told the recruit class that these represented all the firefighters in Baltimore City who had uh, died in line of duty. And he said, "You see that gentleman standing over there in that set of bootprints?" And they're like, you know, "Sir, yes, sir." And I said, "Well, you know, that's uh, that's Tim Jershine," and they kind of looked like, oh, "Okay, well, we got that when they did the introductions." They, of course, they didn't say that. They said, "Well, you know why he's standing there in the 115th set of bootprints?" And I said, "That's his grandfather's." So it really dawned on them that, "Wow, you know, this is tangible. This is this is a family thing." And that's why we want to make all the things we do. Again, back to Billy's comments is whether or not you have family in the fire service, this is all very tangible to us, so you can look around and see not only the previous generations, but the impact that they had. And at one time, they started out as maybe a snot-nosed cadet uh, in Ocean City, <laughs> or they started out like a, a good buddy of ours who we have, have on the program. Um, you know, he's a lieutenant and, and uh, on an engine company in Harlem right now. He was a, in uh, special operations in New York City. And he started out as a, a little kid, a battalion chief kid, battalion chief kid from Baltimore City who would come down to Ocean City in the summer and come up to 74th Street Firehouse and ask us to help wash fire trucks. And, you know, the, the guy's the guys leading an engine company, a very busy engine company in uh, one of the largest fire departments in the world right now. So you never know not only the experience, but what kind of influence that person who came in as just that young, impressionable individual is going to have later on. So whether or not you you've been in that department or have family history there, uh, it goes a long way. I think I think Timmy, you,
1: know, you you agree with that, especially with your your lengthy family history in the fire service. Hundred percent. I, I mean, you know, it, even some of the people, like you said, who don't have any any background or any family history in the fire service, if they want to learn and they're dedicated enough to do it. They're some of the best people out there because they're just so dedicated to, you know, perfecting their craft that they're just on the ball every time. And, you know, it's it blows my mind. But then you have some people who have a long line of family history in the fire service and they just suck ass, to be honest with you.
2: You define suck ass force, Timmy. I'm not sure we're familiar <laughs> with that term. Uh, I don't know.
1: That's a <laughs> rhetorical question, Timmy. Report Sorry, uh, I, I will refer that the uh, Snyder can define that later. No, absolutely not. Um, but uh, that was written Hickman's <laughs> comment about uh, you know, rather have the junior
2: cadet around the fire station learning the business rather than elsewhere doing questionable things. Keep up the education or keep the education fresh, fun and the youth will keep coming back. That's true. The side note to that is they can be around the firehouse learning questionable things, but that's another a program for another time. But thank that's you, Mister for bringing that to our attention.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. just remember that door can swing both ways.
2: Okay. On that note, um, and Timmy, it, it's one of the things that you know we, we do have to uh, you know remember that you know these young folks are like sponges; they are impressionable. We're trying to teach them all the good stuff, <laughs> but also they uh, they absorb. A lot of stuff that they see. Um, ben, do you have a second for me to, to tell a, a quick a quick story? <laughs> it,
1: I'm going to mute myself it, here.
2: It, it, it's, no, you're not. It's you're fine. <laughs> um, little, little Timmy was very much like a sponge. I mean, he, he learned as much as he could. He, he performed well. He did a lot of things. But if you ever wanted just to have comic relief, especially when he was younger, you could say, hey, Timmy, go say this. And he would just go and say it. It was hysterical until I had kids. And it wasn't so funny because I take my nose this too, but I, I will, I will say this, um, just to t- tell you a quick story, Kid, kids watch and they learn. And I'm not advocating this by any way, shape or form, but, um, Timmy's dad and I, we, you know, one of my best friends, he's one, he's one of my uh, son's godparents. Uh, we, we have, we have hung, hung out a lot off duty as well. And you know, we have a few beverages here and there. And, um, so I still remember when little Timmy uh, went to take his first communion family affair, man, oh. we, you know, we, we were there. And so little Timmy goes up to the rail, you know, they, they explain everything about communion and you know the, the, the bread and the wine or in the kids case grape juice. And they, they explained, you know, the, the meaning behind everything and little Timmy's all dressed up nice in his Sunday best and his, his grandmother, Miss Emma, and that woman's a saint by the way. Um, you know, how, how she's in the church family, I'm not really sure, but anyway, um, you know, little Timmy's grandmother's there, everyone's really proud, well, we watch little Timmy kneel at the rail, and they give him the bread, and he, he eats the bread, and then they give him the little cup of grape juice, and it, you know, explain the you know the, the grape juice, and he's right up there at the rail, and no, no kidding, he takes his grape juice, taps it on the rail, shoots it back, <laughs> and me and his dad are like, Oh my God. And we could feel his grandmother's eyes burning the back of our head. Like I'm going to turn around. Yeah. So that that's what happens sometimes that, you know, just like George Washington said, I'm paraphrasing
1: influence is very powerful, whether good or bad and moving on. So, I mean, I thought it was a good influence. I mean, you know, it definitely helped me in my later days. Oh
0: yeah.
2: You, you impressed the living crap out of the preacher. Yeah. Well, that was good. Anyway, <laughs> moving on.
0: I, I think that's, I think that's important to talk about is, um, you know, we talk about all the great that can come with the cadets in the fire service, um, but at the same time, we have to remember that they're still high school kids. And True. you know, in in Salisbury and Ocean City, that these kids are riding apparatus at certain points and going on calls. And um, you know, we have some that are if 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 they go through the CTE program, um, they they potentially come out of out of high school with Fire One, Hazmat Ops, Rescue Tech, EMT, like everything that they need to get a, to, to go to Salisbury, to go to Ocean City and get a full-time job at 18 years old. Um, but at the same time, when they're riding and they're out getting their calls, they're doing that kind of stuff. There's some of the things that they really don't need to see. Um, and I, I helped develop a program a, a junior, it was a junior program, junior firefighter program, uh, where I went to college and, um, North central Pennsylvania. And that was one of the biggest things that we fought was, Hey, what about when we go on these calls and you got this 15 year old kid and you got this body hanging out of a car? What do you, what about, and we, we even had the same thing in Salisbury. Like there was, we're, we're addressing some of the, not addressing, but we were updating our, our policy on cadets. And in there it's taught, it talks about the operational requirements to them riding. Um, and that was one of the questions that were brought up. Um, so I think that's something that we need to consider. We need to have a plan, and and that's that's something more at at Trevor's level, at my level as as company officers, as opposed to the the cadet. You know, that's something that we need to be aware of. You know, if we know that we're going to a call and it's dispatched as you know ejection or whatever. I mean, you pick the call, or you get there and you realize that you're like, holy shit, like. I don't want to see this. I sure as heck don't want this 15-year-old kid to see this. Um, you know, that's something that we as as the officers, as senior firemen, that we need to address that and be like, hey, I need you to stay here. I'll explain it later. Just do as you're told right now. So,
2: now, Ben, I, I agree with you. And, you know, Timmy, I want to see, like, what your experience going through that. so obviously you heard some of the, the war stories coming up, and we're probably a little bit more, um, you know, prepared to handle some of it. But, Ben, uh, that's, as soon as you started talking, That's I agree with your point 110% is that for a 14, 15, whatever, teenage uh, kid to process some of this, and we expect them to do that and to say, okay, suck it up, buttercup. This is part of the job, and we're struggling with that as a service now. Mm-hmm. It always goes back to what Rick George was talking about, and I'm very, very pleased to see – that is part of a lot of academy programs now, and this should be pushed down to the cadet level as well, where they talk about um, you know critical instant stress. They talk about PTSD. They talk about things. Um, I remember years ago being invited to talk to a uh, high school class that they didn't have a cadet or junior program, but it was a career day. And, of course, you know, they want to know, oh, how much money do you make? What's the worst thing you've ever seen? And you start talking about things and, hey, guys, look, one day you might get in a relationship. You might get married. You realize that the fire service has uh, you know, a fifty percent divorce rate, and that's not tangible to them yet because you know they boyfriends yeah. and girlfriends at that age sometimes you know two weeks is the uh, the longest they've ever been in a relationship. But you're you're absolutely right. Is you know we we need to take that in, and I think that in Ocean City it, it really hit home, um, especially with the cadets when one of our own was uh, you know tragically killed in a uh, in a in an accident. I was actually on that call that night, but then this was not only, you know, we had cadets who responded to one of their brethren who was killed. And we're like, oh, that's, that's some of the big boy stuff that we're not even really good at and, mm-hmm. at, at handling. So now we've got all these juniors looking at us and, and cadets saying, okay, well, how do we handle this? And we're sitting there just as torn up as, as they are, but we have a little bit more life experience and trying to keep our poop in the group. So, Timmy, um, along those lines, what are some things that you see that we can improve um, or where where do you see the boundary lines? Because, of course, as young people, and cadets, we kind of it doesn't wear on us yet. We don't have we don't have children. We don't have a family that's relying on us. We're relying on our family more at that point. So where do you see from where things were that you experienced to where we could take them to make that a a better experience for these younger people and have make sure that we're taking care of them throughout their career?
1: i mean um you know when you start out you're always balls to the wall no matter what you know even even 18 years old into your you know early 20s early 30s as a fireman you're always balls to the wall and unfortunately um you know i didn't have to deal with the loss of one of my fellow cadets um but my first year in cadets uh it was a meeting night and we got toned out for an accident on Route 50, and it was actually one of our classmates, one of my classmates, that died in a crash. And, you know, it was – that was, I guess, my, my first real experience with it. Um, you know, our principal came down to the firehouse to talk to the three of us who saw it, and, you know, he checked up on us, you know, throughout the, throughout the following weeks and months. But I, honestly, it never really, I guess, comprehended in me. You know, because I was I was only fourteen at the time, and I didn't really know what was happening. I guess, Um, but I think there's definitely you have to have a boundary line for some of those younger kids. Because I mean, nowadays everybody is very sensitive. You know, depression and anxiety are very very high throughout the country. Not even not only during this COVID crisis, but in general. Um, You know, so you have to be you have to treat them with you know a pair of gloves but you don't want to you don't want to censor them from everything that they may experience throughout their whole career so it's a very fine line that you have to walk with it um you know i think i think it might have to be up to the officer or whoever gets on scene first hopefully it's not a cadet that gets on scene first but you know if somebody gets on scene first and they know cadets are riding in the rescue or the engine you know to have them stage further back have the cadets stay in the apparatus something like that but you know like you guys said, it, it's up to it's up to the higher level officials in that department. You know, it, it can't be up to the cadet officials or the instructors. It would have to be up to the training captain or the training officer.
2: And, that, and that's a great point, Tim, um, because, you know, we, we have to do, do a collectively better job and we can certainly get the buy-in and also the opinions from the cadet corps uh, and at the same time you know we have to be we, we have to be very judicious in the way we look at that because you know you're taking you're taking a group of young people who may not have the 30,000 foot view of the fire service cuz they're just getting into it so you know I think we need to be active listeners with them as well and at the same time you know find that fine balance between not being the parental unit that says kid, I know what's best for you. And also being that parental unit that says, kid, I know what's best for you um, based on our experiences. So you know, we can look at the, at the positives and the deficits of our experiences coming up through the fire service and I think apply them to that age, but also really appeal to people who can get inside a little bit better in, inside the heads of that younger generation because it, it really falls short or you appear somewhat tone deaf if, you, if you've got me coming in to talk to a group of cadets and I can beg, plead, give every example in the world, but unless I can relate to them on a level that means something to them, um, it just it's meaningless. And like I said before, I have a very young workforce. And with that, I mean, most of these folks are coming fresh out of an academy. Um, they're very bright. They're very motivated. They're very capable. They're just very inexperienced. So. After a while, it's not so much the message as much as is the messenger. I mean, I'm I'm the chief of the department, so whether or not they believe in what I'm saying, some of them will sit there and bob their head and agree because that's what they think they need to do. And I, that's not what I want. I, you know, I want somebody who's thinking, but you, know, you got to go with people's comfort levels. So sometimes it benefits me to bring in one of our former members, uh, especially the volunteers, who's gone on to a career position somewhere and bring them back as a peer, not as an officer, not as a superior chief, whatever the hell you want to call them, but you know, you bring them back. And uh, case in point, I had one of, my, uh, one of my volunteers who transitioned over into the career side of my department um, and then wound up going to County Fire Rescue. And, you know, he does, he did a fantastic job in all aspects. And when I bring him back, I mean, it wasn't probably six months that he had been with County. He called me up, had a really, really rough call and wanted to talk about it. And to me, that was phenomenal, just because he felt comfortable enough reaching back and saying, hey, you know, here's what happened. So, you know, but being able to reach out to him, say, hey, are you comfortable coming in and talking to this new group of uh, young people we have, because they can relate more to him. and, And he can say, hey, look, I volunteered in this department. I sat in that same chair that you did two years ago, three years ago. And, you know, here's what happened with me. And, you know, here's the network. Here's how. So I think it's very valuable to recognize your resources and reach out to them. And don't don't just sit, sit there and think that you can, uh, you know, policy and procedure your way through a, a, a program and make it good. You have to get the people, the wisdoms in the trenches. Go, go to the people who've been there recently and have the recency of operation and you know, see what they can do for you.
1: And that's um – when I came home one time, uh, dad was teaching um, at Votech for Fire One, and he was teaching – I think it was probably the art of reading smoke or some fantastic thing that you know the old man likes. And the kids in the class were not paying attention. They had no interest in it. And I, I went to him. I was like, you're not showing them anything that they want to see. I mean you got – I hate to make everybody feel old here, but nine eleven was – Almost twenty years ago now, so you have people who are eighteen, starting in cadets now at fourteen, who were not even alive for it. So you have to cater towards them. You have to make, you have to teach them or show them stuff that they might know. So when it came to reading smoke, you know they were seeing videos of nineteen seventies, you know houses or townhouses in Brooklyn. And I said, no, 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 you have to show them something they know. So I said, okay, raise your hands if you were a cadet or you know anything about the Ocean City Boardwalk. Everybody raised their hand. And I was like, okay. So I pulled up the uh, the dough roller fire. And I said, Dad, go up there and teach them how to read smoke. And everybody, as soon as I put on something they knew, right to the screen. They watched it.
2: And Timmy, that, that's a fantastic point because – And I I mentioned this quite a bit to my folks. I mean, every year we have 9-11 ceremonies as something very deep and meaningful to not only the folks who lived through that era in the fire service, but also since then. And we always say, never forget. We want to push that through. But to your point and you're spot on, that event in the American Fire Service now is a lesson in the history book in an academy. And I don't mean to minimize it by any means, no way, shape, or form. But that's almost like trying to make Pearl Harbor tangible to me. I, I understand the history lesson behind it. I didn't live it, yeah. so as much as I revere that generation that went through World War II and uh, the attack of Pearl Harbor, I only have you know a certain level of understanding for that. I can you know I can revere it. I can uh, you know, respect it. But I did not live through it. And so when we're trying to translate that. It does lose a little bit of translation. I was reading uh, what brother Scotty Lawson out in uh, Kentucky was talking about. I've seen a lot of those programs as well, where it's almost like you're you're kind of throwing it out, throwing the bait out there a little bit, getting the interest um, where they come in. He says they come in on a Friday night and the next two days uh, to do firefighter skills. and They break them up um, as a as a crew officer down. So I think that's another great way almost like a little um, enticement to get them interested in the career. And some places do it not only with um, you know junior camps, but they also look at different demographics. Like if, if let's, let's just say you have a very, uh, how can I put this nicely? Okay. we well, got a bunch of us old guys who are, eyes your fire department and you want to reach out to a younger demographic. You might do that. Or you might say, look, you know, we don't have you know nearly enough uh, you know, female firefighters in our department that matches up with the demographic of our community. And I've seen the same thing that Scott's talking about actually dedicated strictly towards female firefighters or Hispanic firefighters or Asian. You know, so you know we're, we're not separating ourselves because at the end of the day, fire doesn't care whether we're you know tall, short, black, white, fat, skinny, you know, young, old. But at this at the same time we can appeal to these different demographics uh, that we know about our own community and i think what's uh what scott's brought up there is, as a comment too is another great way to generate interest in in different groups and not maybe not just a high school group but also just looking at what you have in your community um, The community that i work in there's outside of you know i literally count on one hand All the volunteers come from outside the community because the median age of my community is in in the mid to high 50s. And most of those folks don't have an interest in throwing ladders and pulling lines. So with that, um, for my recruitment for ancillary duties or what I would consider support duties, I have to appeal to them for fundraising, uh, maybe some sort of accounting or bookkeeping or whatever their adult skill sets are. So you know, we kind of do the same thing that we'll do a uh, almost the reverse of what Scott's talking about. We'll we'll do programs to entice some non traditional members to come in because we have a very we have a a career force and we have a very strong volunteer contingent, but we also need help doing the stuff that um, is just outside the scope or the interest of some of the people who want to be active firefighters.
0: And and I would I would go on to say that. You have those programs to kind of get that bait, or put the bait out, and you know have them you know take a take a nibble and hopefully reel them in. Salisbury, uh, for for with the exception of this summer, uh, the previous two summers we've we've had a, a program to bring kids in for a half day, uh, third grade through fifth grade, um, and basically teach them a little bit about the fire service. Um, they're wearing gear. They're doing. They're climbing ladders. They're pulling the forestry line. They're doing uh, a little firefighter combat challenge. Um, and the the response to that has been off the like it's been unreal. We went from 15 kids the first year to uh, a little over 45 the second. Sure. Um, and it the we had planned uh, for four sessions for the for this summer, uh, but unfortunately we had to we had to cancel that. Um, but it, it was like it's insane the number of the amount of interest that, that there was in that. So, um, you know, the, the, the programs that are out there to get kids involved are awesome. It's just a matter of, of how we're um, engaging them and how we're using them. Cause that's, that's our future. Um, that's, that's what we need to make sure that we're taking care of is, you know, the three of us, we've got three people at, di- at three different spots in our fire service careers. Um, and at some point, it's gonna be, and I'm gonna share my screen here for a second. At some point, it's gonna be hang on a second. It's gonna be those kids that are sitting on the ground. Yeah. Um that are good, that the fire service is gonna to go to. And that's what we have to that's what we have to cultivate, that's what we have to bring up, and that's what we have to, you know, welcome into the fire service through our cadet programs, through our, our mentor our brother or uh, big brother systems, um, all of that kind of stuff. But that's, that's who we need to make sure that we take care of. Uh, and that when we say we're going to start them young and we're not going to lose them, that's the, that's our future right there. So, um, sorry, I'm just,
1: yeah, right. you're fine. I mean, and going along with that, I mean, community outreach, um, you know, for the younger generation, like you said, that that's going to be the future of the fire service, you know, I mean, when you're going through elementary school, you have, uh, what, fire prevention week? And then at the end, you have the big, uh, they burn down half of a cardboard house. And, you know, Uncle Trevor runs in there with his hose and sprays it all down, you know, acts like the hero. And then after that, you don't have anything. I mean, I know, you know, where, where I grew up and the schools I went to, after after elementary school, there was no – big fire prevention celebration. And then up until cadets, there was no outreach to learn about the cadet program. The only way you learned about it was through word of mouth or you had family in the fire service. So, you know, there needs to be, there needs to be more of an outreach, you know, in your middle schools, like seventh and eighth grade, when you're 12, 13 years old, getting ready to go into the 14 year old in the high school. Be like, hey, you know, when you get into high school, here's a cool program to check out. You know, if you're interested in any of these, you know, it, nursing. If you're interested in nursing, get in the fire service, get your EMT. You know, it gets you on a line to get to the nursing. You know, it just somehow reach out to these kids, get some even the lightest, uh, the little bit of a spark you can get in them. It once you hook them, that that's all you need. You know, then you get them talking about it, and from there, it just keeps on going.
2: And, and to me, that's where I think that the merger between the junior cadet programs and the, the technical schools or the, the technical programs can really benefit each other. Because you're absolutely right. Unless you have a, a high school program in your area or even in your region, um, pretty much like you said, it's it's word of mouth. We in the fire service in general, we're very poor at marketing. We're very poor at, you know, really getting the word out there. And, you know, again, reading's want to. Scott Lawson's comments talk about they use uh, the IFSAC skills so when they get to the age where they can actually apply, they're ready for the firefighter one and two testing. Um, okay. Side note to that, one of one of uh, he's a- actually one of my uh, shift commanders, but he's also in charge of volunteer services. He does a lot of functional fitness to get them ready for the CPAT because in, in the area I am now, um, they, they use the CPAT as a physical fitness requirement to get in. And that's that's what hems up quite a few applicants, and you know they they're certainly physically capable, but that those specific items that they have to do to perform. So it, in addition to what Scott's talking about, um, it's also nice to be able to do that. But that's sponsored at the local level versus maybe integrating that within a cadet program or within the uh, technical high school or VOTECH program, where you can say, okay, if you want a career in this industry here are the benchmarks you have to meet, but then not only give them the tools, but the path to get there. And, uh, you know, I think that we have much more viable candidates because, you know, it is distressing when, you know, some of these candidates go for a job, their dream job, and they don't make it the first time. And they have to realize that, Hey, you've got to find another way to get there. Um, and they can't give up, but it's still the, the more advantage we can give them to prepare themselves to go. It just makes them a better candidate. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't waste, uh, you know, it doesn't waste a lot of time, but, uh, you know, for it, like in our cases, you know, for any kind of career employment, um, you know, and that's where a lot of our volunteers, it, it's specific to my department. A lot of our volunteers are trying to get hired on in the, in the area, in the County in the region, the municipal departments. Uh, we have a relatively small career force and we don't have a lot of turnover. So the opportunities within my department for, to, uh, transition from volunteer to career are relatively few but we try to you know give them i hate to see my volunteers go but i'd love to see i love losing them to success i hate yeah. losing them but if they're going to lo- go to a career and so it, it's gotten to the point now where we you know we train the crap out of them we you know we'll do mock interviews we'll do a lot of things with them to prepare them and knowing full well that we will probably never receive the benefit of what they do further in the fire service but I, I say that with a caveat, maybe not directly. They might not be pulling lines and throwing ladders for my department, but some years later, these are going to be the people who are going to be the you know, officers they are going to be instructors. And some of the people coming up in the service will benefit from, you know, directly or indirectly from their skills and experience that they got as a junior member or a cadet, or just as a young person who was mentored and put on the right path.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree hundred percent, you know, I think, if we can train them well enough that you know they they learn from us, and then in the future when they go to train, you know the next generation, they'll be like, oh, you know, back in my day when I was at Ocean City, or you know when I was in Salisbury, you know they're hitting from those different areas, and it's like it, you're going back to the time when you were the cadet or you were the younger member and learning all this stuff, and you're resonating with that younger generation that we have now where, you know, they might not necessarily, it, they might not be involved until they hear something, you know, like them or, you know, and another thing with the VOTech program, I, I think that if you have an interest in one of those programs, the EMT, FIRE, or both altogether, you know, it, you should, before, The 11th grader before you turn 16 you should be able to you know choose and roadmap out your classes to benefit you in that way physical education is only a requirement for one grade but it's an elective if you want to keep doing it so i mean for me i wanted to be the in the best shape possible when i went to fire school so i elected to take gym every year so you know there needs to be a way to cater towards those kids who want to do vocational activities like fire and EMT and not even that other activities such as like, you know, HVAC and car mechanic and stuff like that, that you can learn there. But I mean, that's just, that's a whole different, <laughs> that, that's a whole different school issue.
2: And, and Timmy, I'm, I'm looking at a comment that uh, brother Hickman made here. And said so you'd like to know the reasons the kids didn't continue. Maybe the factors can be corrected to retain more of them. Um, in, in your opinion, and I, it just, I just had this thought based on that and some of the things you're just saying Timmy. if you look at people who do a lot of recruiting at the high school level, like the, the U S military, yes, uh, they can come in and you know, it's not just you're, you're going to, you're, you're going to carry, you're going to carry a weapon, but there's, you know, what's, what's your job function within the military? And they, they put this whole thing out there to say, okay, yes, the basis of your uh, employment is being a soldier, just like our basis of employment is being a firefighter, but you can go into inspection and prevention, you can go into training, you can go into community services, you can can be a a emergency vehicle technician, you know, mechanic. So, uh, do you think we do an adequate enough job, based on Mike's comments and some of the things that you just talked about, do we do an adequate enough job to tell them all the places in the fire service, including, you know, the, the EMS, the special operations, the tactical medicine—all the, you know, these different things. Do you think we do a good job of advertising that? And do you think we would retain more people if we showed them the diversity of the career tracks of the fire service, other than just being a, you know, a needle pusher or a hose bunker? Uh it,
1: Personally, no. I, I don't think. You know, obviously, nobody's perfect, and you can always do better no matter what. But I, I don't think as You know, recently, what was it, six years ago, eight years ago when my last year in cadets was, we definitely were not pushing anything other than, oh, you're going to be a fireman or an EMT. You know, when you went and took fire one or EMT, you had the caveat of getting your hazmat or your rescue tech, you know, engine company, vehicle extrication, all that, you know, after you finish those main classes of fire one and EMT. But we definitely didn't push that. We pushed, you know, we pushed, oh, you're going to be a fireman. You're going to pull hose. You're going to climb ladders, you know, or you're going to be an EMT. You're going to take blood pressures. You know, you can go to paramedic school, stuff like that. So, no, I don't think there's enough. For me, in my opinion, I, I personally think, you know, the rescue and or, or squad company is the coolest apparatus out there. That's just my opinion. But I was never taught about that at all. I was, you know, where I'm from, the rescue is just a toolbox on wheels. It has no other purpose. So, you know, learning about a squad company that does that and truck company operations like, whoa, wait, that's a whole new ball game, man. So I, I think we can definitely do better and, you know, show these kids that they have other opportunities as well. That they don't have to stick to the fire path. They don't have to stick to the EMT path. You know, you can go. You can be a fire dispatcher. As I, I know, you guys will probably hate to be saying that, but you can be a fire dispatcher. You can be fire prevention. You know, you can do all that stuff in the fire service. You just don't have to stick to those two things. Uh, so, I mean, we definitely we can do better by showing them other opportunities. And you know, as uh, you know, as Hickman said. The people who don't stay might not necessarily stay in because they're interested. I mean, I know people—people people I went to school with, uh, people who I went through fire and EMT with—they got their certifications and went. Th- once they hit eighteen, they're like, "Honestly, this really isn't for me," and they just stopped. And you know, I I respect them. You know, they they stuck through it. They stuck through it the four years that we were in cadets together, and then they realized that it wasn't for them. So, you know, sometimes it's just a switch that clicks. It's like, I don't want to keep doing it.
2: Yeah, and that's, and that's okay. You know, and I, I think that that's good because they, they tried something, they invested in it, and they made a decision. And that I, I take nothing away from that whatsoever. Um, but, you know, Timmy, your point, there's so many different things. I think the balance that we try to find is, especially in maybe smaller to medium-sized departments, is we're really looking for recruitment and retention for us. Um, so the selfish end to our cadet programs and junior programs is we want we want that continual stream of people in our department, which is great. But I think that we sell ourselves short. Uh, and just like just like in my case, you know, I know just you're kind of going back to the proverb that you know I've, I've got to plant a tree under whose shade I'll never you know, rest or sit and. With that being said, you know, I know a lot of these people are going to be, it's going to be money out of my budget. It's going to be uniforms, it's going to be training. And if I get a, a year and a half, I, I think the longest serving volunteer I have right now is a year and a half. I, I have some that have been in for four months and they write very nice resignation letters are beautiful. Um, but you know they're, they're going <laughs> on and you know, we've invested background checks. We've invested all you know, physicals, this, that, and the other. But it's a rotating door, but at the same time, you know, you try to treat them well, train them well, and, you know, we want to retain them as long as we can, but we can't stand in the way of their progress. So I think sometimes some of the programs are a little bit reluctant to show, show them what the world is out there because they want them to stay with the blinders on for, you know, your fire department because they want them to stay there. Of course, we want them to stay there, but I think we do a little bit of a disservice because you never know. That might be the person, and I'm looking at a, a, a familiar name here. You know, that might be the Grady Temple who brings in things to your department, even though you're uh, the big department, you run a ton of calls, you serve a half million people, all that kind of good stuff, who brings in a skill set that you never had before. Um, That that might be that person who goes out and brings that back to you. So, you know, if if you if you kind of hobble them and keep the blinders on them because you're selfishly trying to keep them. They might not progress to the point where they're going to be the benefit that you want them to be in the future of the department. And, um, you know, I, I think that's neat what Greg saying, is saying. Uh, he said, University of Fairbanks in Alaska employs firefighters while they uh, associate applied sciences and bachelor of sciences in fire science. And that's, you know, there's a lot of college programs too that I think, you know, and that's another track maybe you can talk about, Timmy, as well, where. You go from cadets to places like there, or University of Maryland has a very extensive, so does Montgomery College, live-in programs for firefighters. No Ocean City started one, and one of our yeah. biggest challenges there is we weren't a college town. I mean, we were busy. We had a lot of stuff and neat things to do, and, and you you know, got plenty of experience, but it's not like you walk across the street to your campus, unlike, say, <laughs> University of Maryland with a uh, you know, student population in you know, the double digits of thousands. And you know, you walk across the street from your dorm, and, and you're in your sociology class. So there's a little bit of a difference there. But you know, can you talk about a little bit of that transition from the you know, being a cadet and then staying in the service, whether it's you know dispatch, fire, EMS, or, or any of the other ancillary uh, parts of the fire service, and how you see that we could uh, improve on that?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. You know, when. You know, for us, it was as soon as you turned eighteen. You know, you filled out your application for to become an active fireman. Um, you know, the one thing that I I understand why it had to happen, but the one thing I did not like about that transition was you served four full years in the cadet program, being a probationary fireman, and then you still have to serve a whole another year being a probationary fireman. That's the only one downside that I personally saw about. Going into it, Um, you know, I I personally don't have any college education. Uh, Good old Stephen Decatur, and I kept my uh, I I kept I just stayed employed. You know, Um, as soon as I graduated high school, I went right to work and fell in love with my job. So, you know, the people who do have those programs, such as you know, PG County, Prince George's County, for those who aren't from Maryland. Or, you know, Montgomery County, the ones who are able to staff a live in program fully as those places do. Uh, that's a huge benefit to them because you have these kids who may live there almost year round. Unlike Ocean City, we're a resort town. As you said, we don't have a college campus, we have the beach. So you know you're coming there for the summertime just for the beach and to live at the firehouse. I mean, I mean to be fair, those are two great things. And, but, and there is an education
0: that they get while they're there over the
1: summer. We can't talk about that education. Yeah, that's, uh, that, on that's not website. covered under
0: the, the Hickman waiver.
1: No, 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 no. Yeah,
0: that's no. the uh, 74th Street University. Go ahead, Timmy. Yeah.
1: Hey, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think places that um, I know, Progress Fire Department, I believe it is. Uh, in Pennsylvania. Yeah, in Harrisburg. In Harrisburg. I mean, they have they have a college campus nearby and they're one of the best live in programs in the country that I've seen. So these places, you know, that have colleges nearby where you can earn your degree in it might not it it might not necessarily be in fire science. It could be in whatever you want it to be, but you're still giving back to your community and you're still living at the firehouse. So you know, those places definitely have an upper hand in the volunteer service as opposed to other places that don't have that.
0: Yeah. When I, when I went to school, I was, uh, when I went to college, I was fortunate to live in a firehouse for two years and it was, it was awesome. It was fantastic. There wasn't a day, um, when I was in school that I wasn't on a fire engine and we weren't all that busy. We averaged out about one call a day, uh, like 360 to, to 380 calls a year. Um, but it was it was fantastic. It was a, it was a wonderful opportunity, and in my degree, is no is not even close to the fire, to a fire science degree. I don't even think Lock Haven had fire science uh, as a as an option. But um, you know, we had we had a bunk room, and there was a number of guys that um, you know they they had they had gone down to PG County and they had lived there. Um, they we had a couple guys uh, leave Lock Haven, and, and they were a career firemen in DC. Uh, one I think has since retired as a district chief. Uh, one is still there. I think he's a captain. Uh, he was a captain on uh, one of the, a, a captain and a lieutenant on uh, a couple of the rescue trucks. I mean, very, very competent, awesome firemen. Great guys um, to come out of there and that that lived at the firehouse. And it was it was an awesome experience. It was fantastic. It was one of the best things that that I've done. Uh, I hope Rachel didn't see that. That Rachel getting married. That was the best thing I've done. Timmy, remember that? Okay.
1: Uh, she's good, in the good, other good recovery, room. Good yeah, recovery there.
0: Cool.
1: <laughs> I think she has head headphones and she can't hear me. So Perfect. We're
2: good. And, Perfect. And, and the other thing, I mean, I think Timmy had a great point and maybe looking at building these programs, I, I see exactly what you're saying because you might have been literally a captain or lieutenant in the cadets and earned that spot. And then the next thing you know, I mean, you're you're just you know a suck ass proby again which, hey, earn your bones, do what you got to do. But I would agree with you that maybe because you've already done that, with the exception of some of the performance objectives that require you to be of age to be able to do them, um, you know, for the insurances, this, that, and the other, maybe instead of serving the entire one-year probation, because you have, you know, Joe Shit the Ragman who comes in with no fire service experience, serves the same one-year probation that you did with four years behind you doing all the crap and, and really earning your bones then. So maybe what it is is to say, okay, as long as you had a, a satisfactory record as a cadet, and you, you maybe whack your uh, probationary time from a year to six months or four months, whatever it is that would be reasonable to uh, achieve those perfor- performance objectives. So that might be something too. Um, another little quick side note, because I know we're running out of time, is one of the things um, I'm reading a lot of great things about what. Uh, some of the states are doing and some of the areas are doing for higher education in the fire service or to encourage higher education. As I know, in this state, um, maybe may on the volunteer end as well, but on the career end, they uh, offer a supplemental compensation. So if you've earned your associate's degree, and there's all sorts of uh, programs out there to give you know, scholarships and help with different things, um, but if, if you earn your associate's degree, uh, you can do a supplemental compensation through your department. That the state reimburses your department for you get 50 extra bucks a month if you have a bachelor's degree 100 extra bucks a month i don't know about you guys 100 extra bucks a month is pretty darn good and that's and that's so it encourages some of these people to take advantage of maybe tuition reimbursement programs or anything else so again these are some things that i think if we lay out way way early in the process to say hey here's some of the benefits versus just letting them trip across them and if they're lucky enough to later on uh, we might retain some more people, or people who might be a little bit on the fence and say, Hey, I really like this, but I can, I might be able to do so much better in the private sector, but I love the fire service in the public sector. This might be the uh, determining factor for it.
1: And I mean, uh, another thing um, when it comes to, you know, in the cadet program, you know, between that 14 and 18 year range is it. What you do in cadets is not universal. There's no you know, there's no set-in-stone program. So in Ocean City, between 14 and 18, you couldn't be within 50 feet of the fire zone. But in PG County at 16 years old, you can be interior as long as you have your fire one. Same in uh, Sussex County. In some places in Sussex County, as long as you have your fire one, you're interior firemen. So I think there needs to be – this is just me saying this, but in my opinion – if you have your Fire One certification under certain circumstances, you could be that fifth or sixth fireman on the engine if need be. You know, you don't need to go that whole year and a half, two years of you having your Fire One certification without any interior experience. Because at sixteen years old, your mind is still growing and you're, you know, you're able to learn from some of those best people out there. You know, I was fortunate enough to learn from, you know, Uncle Trevor and my father and you know, I was very fortunate to grow up around them and learn from them. Good yeah, thing. Work out for you. Good things. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, for people who weren't fortunate enough to grow up around that, you know, um, it's just I, I think it would be beneficial to maybe take a look at your program and say, hey, you have your Fire One certification. Let's hook you up with a captain, you know, stay together with him on the fire ground. If you're able to go interior, then go ahead and do it.
2: And I think uh, what Scotty Lawson's saying, too, is an interesting point. And um, very few do this. It's kind of really great to see they're doing that. there in Kentucky. So his department does uh, $500 on IFSAC certification. So that really gets people interested and pushes them towards the certification process, which validates their training. Um, yeah, I know there's a lot of discussion on all sides of the certification process, but I think that's uh, you know a really interesting take and something that could be uh, valuable information.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I know you said we're running out of time, so I just want to hit on one big like recruitment retention thing real quick. So, um, you know, it, I, in my personal opinion, I think year in review videos are a perfect recruitment retention way. You know, I mean, Kentland puts out their video once every year that gets everybody hyped up. I, I mean, not many people like Kentland, but you know, you get to see people who go to fires constantly. You know. Uh, I know PG County puts out numerous, Morningside, you know, Bladensburg, everybody puts out a year in review video. So Salisbury did one last year, I think it was. Lewis does one every year. So even if your department doesn't do or doesn't run many calls or anything, put in a year in review video, you know, put it out there to the public, let them see what you do every year, and maybe that would get somebody interested in it. I mean, how many people, you know, from slower areas you know the kentucky boys from eku who come over to ocean city every year during the summertime they want to run calls you know so the people who are in these slower areas go to these higher run areas to get the experience i mean you know they go to pg county they go to christiana in delaware you know and those places put out these videos that really spark your interest. like oh wow they go to fires I want to sign up there. I want to learn how to, you know, do this stuff, you know, day after day after day, instead of having a lull period for. I, I mean, it could be a month, it could be two months, you know, depending on what your call volume is a year. I, I think those are very, very beneficial to getting people in and keeping them.
2: Maybe yeah, I think uh, you know all great points on that, and I uh, really appreciate your, your insight on this, especially since you, you're out of all of us, you're the most recent one who's served in, in the cadet corps and was very very successful in it and actually brought oh. a lot of it brought a lot of innovation to it and uh so real quick uh still getting married right
1: i am uh, outstanding
2: that... congratulations and uh i'm I'm, I'm, I'm still in to officiate right
1: oh absolutely
2: okay um and, that, and that's one of the say, say one of the things one of the blessings uh, for those of you who don't know Little Timmy Jershide, um, who I'm still picturing as the three-year-old I'm stuffing in a cardboard box at <laughs> headquarters, um, is getting married. So congratulations. He's actually asked me to officiate that wedding, and I will not tell any embarrassing stories uh, about you during your wedding or the uh, reception.
1: I was fully expecting you to pull out the little black book that you had of me uh, when I was a little kid and just start reading it. Uh, but one more thing before we do go. Um, shout out to my man Noah King from Pocomoke City. Uh, I think he's training lieutenant now. Good old Noah. Uh, he wants to let everybody know that there is a South End uh, Worcester County Rescue Day coming up in the near future. Uh, plenty of open spots to sign up for. Plenty of amazing teachers. I know they just had one recently that was very successful. Um, you know, the guys down in Worcester County are really doing it big with training, you know, in the off season, So, if you you know you and your department are out there looking, uh, go online. Um, you can find it on I think Pocomoke's website or the Delmarva Firewire Facebook group. Go ahead and sign up.
2: Excellent, man. Well, thank you for that. And uh, you're absolutely right. You know, Worcester County is really taken off with that. Uh, your your dad, I know, have been instrumental in that quite a bit. Especially you know, some of the other brothers like your know, Jason and JD, and so many people, especially in the departments in the south end of the county and mid county as well. Well really all over. But yeah. Um, you're glad to see the trainings taken off and it it's it starts at the root, man, when you're a when you're a junior member and when you can get that interest and get that just that hunger for training and, and keep it. That's what's really important. So um, with that, Timmy, do you have any final thoughts before I ask Ben to go around the horn and take us out of here?
1: <laughs> uh no, just you know, thank you for having me on to, you know, spew some nonsense for the last hour and fifteen minutes. <laughs>
0: Trevor, you got anything final for us? Uh, No, I pretty
2: much said everything I need to say. Um, Again, appreciate everybody tuning in tonight. See, uh, got a shout out from the 74th Street Baptist Church, little Sinny Sin Sin up there on 74th Street in Ocean City. Uh, But I appreciate uh, everybody who did tune in. And Timmy, thank you again for the insight. Hope this gave uh, a little bit of help to some folks. And uh, as always, you can certainly reach out. And if we don't have the answer, we usually know the people who do. And uh, you know, we really would love to see the fire service continue with the vocational vocational programs and also the junior firefighter cadet programs, um, the career days, all those things that really build us up. Because um, you know, we go through peaks and valleys, but I think we got a lot of great people ahead of us and uh, we, we need to call freedom now. So, again, thank you, everybody. And Ben, I'll turn it over to you to take us home.
0: All right. Thank you, sir. And thank you again, Timmy, for joining us. It was awesome ta- chatting with you uh, Tuesday night and tonight. Um, great, great conversation, great comments, everything that we were getting through tonight. Uh, so thank Thanks everyone for, for tuning in and joining us. Just um, as, as Timmy mentioned, I got a message from Noah earlier today about the South end rescue. That's a November 14th, uh, 2020. Uh, we are, we'll post that on our Facebook page. I've shared it on my personal page Noah's got it all over the place, so please, if you're interested, check that out. It's going to be awesome. Uh, they've they've got a ton of instructors. They've got a ton of cars. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a great day of cutting stuff up. Yes, sir.
2: I'm sorry. Real real quick, and uh, Timmy, this goes to you when you talk about heavy rescue and being on the squad company. You know, when you arrive on the scene, the squad gets there. And, you know, they're kind of like the when, when the public has an emergency, they call 911. When the fire department has an emergency, they call the heavy rescue or the squad. You know, I know we go back and forth and BS with each other about that. Timmy, you got to get, you got to learn how to do the squad nods when you get on scene and everybody's like, Hey man, what's up? You just go <laughs> squad nod
0: right there. Yeah, go ahead, All, right. All right. Thanks. There we go. Um, I, let me just practice one more time. There we go. Um, so, so we talked about that, the, the, the South end rescue day going to be awesome. Check that out. Uh, go to Noah's page. Like I said, we'll post it. Um, as it, as it relates back to our conversation tonight and, and as we've talked about many times before, it's always about mentoring the new person. Take care of that new person because eventually, like we've said tonight, the three of us at some point are going to have to leave the fire service. We have to look in the mirror and say it's our time, and and we have to have, have mentored. We have to have trained. We have to have developed. Um, I'm the, right like, here. I, I can hear you. Five. So, I, I can hear you. I'm right here. Yeah, and you're still going to go at some point. Yeah, I know.
2: <laughs> thinking, kidding and screaming, but yes. It, it, I'm the last one's a I'm great party.
0: The next one's going to be a great party. I'm excited for both. Thank you. So, uh, with that being said, um, our next one, our next thirsty Thursday will be November 12th, uh, which puts us into no shave November. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I've posted a little, yeah. See, I've even got a little something going.
1: I can't um, grow anything.
0: Yeah. I'm going to be neither, a- but we're going to do it. Yeah. We Got it. Um, so, with that being said, No Shave November. Uh, we've got a post coming out next Monday, the uh, November second, with a little history about No Shave November and where it came from, uh, and a little bit about the the fundraising. The um... <laughs> what's what's funny is it's probably actually that color if you were to try and grow something there,
1: boss. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> that's messed up.
0: Love you, man. Love
2: you. It, it, it's it's a good thing I'll forget what you said in about ten minutes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so, so check that out. November second on our post that's coming out for No Shave November. If you're going to participate, please send us a picture so that way we can share that as well. I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, we'll see how long it lasts. Uh, I'm usually good for about two and a half to three weeks before it starts driving me nuts. So, but we'll be sharing all that. Um, smoke detectors as we as we change our clocks. Um, when you change your clock, change your smoke detector batteries. So we're going to have uh, something coming out for that too, uh, a little little image that we're going to post up. So um, tell your people, tell your folks, tell the people that you're serving uh, when they change their clocks to change their smoke detector batteries um, to, to help keep them safe. And then Halloween tomorrow night and Saturday night, go out, have fun, take care of the kids, give them, give them a bunch of candy. Uh, and don't give them like the pennies and the apples, like give them the good stuff. All right, splurge, it's okay, it's been a shitty year, we've got the pandemic, give me the good stuff.
1: Take care of the adults too, give them the good stuff.
0: Yeah, I don't know that we can say give them the good stuff when we're both drinking natural light, like Hickman's having a stroke right now.
1: Hickman, first of all, no, 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 it's not amateur hour, you know, I wish I could be drinking natural uh, Natty Bo, but they don't serve that in Jacksonville, so, gotta go with the second best.
0: (laughs) So, you all right, Trout's
1: Continue. He's disappointed in me. It's okay. So I'm never disappointed in you.
0: Again, thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you November second or November twelfth uh, for our next Thirsty Thursday. Watch the website, uh, watch the Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, all of that stuff uh, to see what our next topic is going to be. Uh, and thank you guys again for joining. And have a great night. There we go.